For broadcasting opportunities on Wildfire Radio, go to wildfireradio.com and click Contacts. For advertising opportunities on any of our shows, go to wildfireradio.com and click on Advertise. And remember, for all of your concert and sporting event tickets, go to SeatGiant.com and use code WILDFIRE at checkout for a great discount. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Colton Court, where we explore the legal and business issues in the world of sports every Monday here on Wildfire Radio. I'm your host, Gerald Colton, along with Tucker Colton. We will talk with you over the next hour and view various areas of the world of sports that are going on, but we are going to start today with one of the hottest topics, and that is the Green Bay Packers and the injury to Aaron Rodgers that happened yesterday, and we are privileged to have on the line six-time Pro Bowl guard of the Green Bay Packers four-time first-team All-Pro selection, Jari Evans. Ja, welcome to Colton Court again. Thanks for having me. It is always a pleasure, and, th- and thanks for joining us. Um, obviously not the best of days in Green Bay. Tough, tough day yesterday. Really, a, a, from the standpoint of watching it from the outside and watching it on TV, really painful game to watch. Talk to us about, you know, everything going into the game has been exciting. You, you, you enter the game 4-1, and one, really gaining momentum and really looking at the, the, the team that could be the real Super Bowl leading contender at this point. And obviously everything went downhill yesterday when Aaron Rodgers went down. Talk about that. Uh, you're absolutely correct. You know, um, tough times around here right now. And, uh, you know, losing – Losing the best player on the team and and the best player in the league at, at you know what he's able to do and create with his legs, it's uh it's a little disheartening. But you know as a team we gotta rally behind each other and we gotta focus even harder now to make sure that everybody's playing their best ball to elevate the whole team as a whole. Ja, here we, you know we like to look into the legal, the business issues, and th- things from a little bit different perspective. So I want you to, to talk to our listeners here on Wildfire Radio, and this is All Pro Guard Jari Evans. And um, what is it like as you prepare and you go into a game, and then all of a sudden, a guy like Aaron Rodgers, not just your star quarterback, arguably the best player in the league, goes down? W- what does that do to you there while that happens? Um, what you say to yourself, you know, first thing, you know, I said to myself was, you know, I hope he's coming back. You know, guys didn't really know the severity of the energy injury <clears throat> until halftime. But um, you just say to yourself, like, you know, wow, we just lost, you know, our general, our best player. I hope he's okay. I hope he's coming back. Um, at the same time, you know that you still have a job to do and you have to go out there and win your, win your individual battles up front. And uh, that's what we tried to do. Um we had uh, way too many MAs uh, without Aaron in the game to uh, direct us and orchestrate us back there. But, you know, that the onus just goes on everybody individually now more so than ever. I and mean, with MAs, you're saying mental errors, and um, and, and they are obviously have to be eliminated. And uh, I would imagine, and this is the stuff I want, I want you to also help the listeners understand, how does a, a team prepare for a game? What goes on in a week of practice? Well, mental, mental errors, yes. and, mental errors and misassignments. Right, misassignments, okay. And and um, and what, what goes on in a, a week 
of pre- preparation for a game and how many reps does actually a backup like Brett Hundley get to where all of a sudden he's thrust into the role of not just replacing the best quarterback in the league. He's now all of a sudden got to command this job or the team the rest of the way. Yeah, you know, uh, during the week, um, the starters take majority of the reps, if not all the reps. Um, and, and the backups do basically the scout team reps. And, um, you know, running plays of the, you know, the opposing team coming in. And that's just in the team periods. In the individual periods, everybody's working on, you know, their specific individual techniques and uh, different things like that. So as far as uh, backup getting a lot of the reps, you know that that are going to happen in the game. That's that's not happening during the week. Ja, with um, and we're talking to Jari Evans. With regard to the MAs, Mr. Simons, what role does a Aaron Rodgers play in the calling out of things that helps minimize those that somebody else stepping in to replace him has a harder time doing? Uh, well, you know, up front where everybody's communicating with each other and, and trying to get everybody on the same page of, of the blocking assignments. But when you have a guy like, you know, like Aaron who has seen so much ball and, you know, who can see things pre-snap reads before they happen, he's able to, you know, get guys going in the right direction and, and help, you know, some of the younger guys, some of the rookies on, you know, who they're picking up, you know, which way the line is working. Um, being a new player myself, you know, trying to get all the intricate calls down and different things that are happening and where, you know, guys want to go. It can be, you know, sometimes rough when the defense is showing you a whole bunch of different looks, moving guys around. You're not able to see across the other side of the line. So to have that guy that, you know, can tell you what to do in one word and get everybody on the same page, it, it definitely uh, plays a huge difference. Yeah, it's just amazing to me how much a starting quarterback, or quarterback, anybody who's in behind center, has to do. How much of the mental process there is beyond just playing the game. It's it's really incredible, isn't it? Yeah. So well, I mean, yeah, we, we do a lot up front also, you know, as far as, you know, our center, Corey, he's very good at getting guys on the same page, and, and he's very smart and talented and, and um, understand what's going on. But there's other things and other keys that tip you on what the defense is bringing, whether right? they're bringing a corner blitz off the side or bringing a safety down in rotation that tells you different things that may be happening up front because, you know, defense play gap sounds. So, those are some of the things that you may not get or you may miss or may not be able to see up front as offensive linemen when you're looking at the defense alignment. That's why coaches preach so much, you know, look through the second level, look to the linebacker, see them rotate, see them move, try to find different tips that tell you what may be coming. So, Chad, when you're in a game, how much are you guys up front speaking to each other? And does that get affected when you're in the road in a loud place like Minnesota? Yeah, it's definitely harder when you're on the road when the center's head is between his legs and he's, you know, eyeing the QB for the snap count. Um, <clears throat> but there's constant communication. You know, you know, those guys, as soon as Corey would put his head down, they would, they would move, you know, to cause confusion. So, you know, there's constant communication going on because the play changes when defensive guys move and stuff like that. So we're always communicating up until the, you know, the final snap of the ball just to make sure that everybody's on the same page in the blocking assignments. So, Jari, you're on the field. Aaron Rodgers is behind you when he gets hit by Anthony Barr and goes down. Yeah. At what point do you realize he's hurt? Uh, you know, I, I didn't see the hit. You know, I don't think a lot of us saw it. We were all engaged in our blocks. But, you know, after the play, you, you, you know, I look back and I see Aaron on the ground and I didn't, 
I didn't know what would happen. Um, obviously, I knew he was he was hit. That's why he was on the ground. But I didn't know where he got hurt. Um, and you just you just you see him walk off. So you hope it's not nothing serious. And then he comes back. And then at halftime, that's when we you know we all knew that you know he wasn't you know really coming back. And uh, <clears throat> but um, but yeah, after seeing the hit on film, you know the ball was definitely out. It looked like the defender, you know, could have held up, you know, bar 55, but his decision was to, you know, see a quarterback outside the pocket running and, and um, you know, and deliver a shot. John, now, there's the, the impact that he delivered, yeah. Well, there's, there's talk about potentially things like this really waking the league up and maybe making some rule changes. And certainly over the years, there have been a lot more protections put in to protect quarterbacks. But by the same token, this kind of play, which most people felt was legal, I, I took a little exception to it watching it. Uh, I'm watching with a little bias toward you as well. So um, I don't know that I'm the most objective person, but I thought it certainly could have been avoided. Does the league have to really kind of look at this thing? Because talk about what a quarterback is doing in Aaron Rodgers' situation where he's rolling right, throwing the ball on the move, um, and really very, very vulnerable. Yeah, um, you know, we, we play a very fast, physical, and violent game. And, and the thing is, is, yes, you want to have, you know, bylaws and rules in place that are stable and can, you know, adhere to every different situation that presents itself. But what I think the league needs to do is also take a look at intent. And, you know, you have to see, like, okay, if a player is faced up with a player in this particular situation and sees the ball release, what is his intent to hit, wrap, and drive into the ground? That's only one intent. So, like, he could have, you know, just put hands on him or made his presence known, you know, without a hit, a lift, and a drive into the guy's, you know, a primetime guy like Aaron Rodgers' shoulder. Clearly, uh, Jai, there's a couple things about it, and you and I have discussed it already since the game. And one is that in that situation, although it is not in the context of the rule book an unprotected player because he's out of the pocket, truly there's probably no more vulnerable position for a quarterback than what Aaron Rodgers was in, was in that place and really an unprotected player because he can't protect his fall other than his arm and the throwing arm that he makes his living on protecting it and coming down awkwardly. Yeah, that's you said it completely right. That's every that's anybody's natural instinct is to brace their fall, you know, by putting their arms down. Infants do it all the time. Young kids do it all the time, and these injuries exist. So yeah, that's why that's why I said the intent. I think that this he is an unprotected, you know, person back there when he's releasing the ball or when they're throwing, and you know, that's something that they probably will look into as far as the intent of the defender when the ball is released in the time of it. Well, as you said, you play a violent game and it's physical and people love that aspect of football and you don't want to take away from it, but by the same token, you don't want to lose your marquee players like Aaron Rodgers for the year um, in game six on something that maybe could be avoided or protected. So so tell us as, as we continue on sort of giving you a field view from Jari Evans on the field with Aaron Rodgers yesterday in the Green Bay Packer huddle. All of a sudden, Brett Hundley never played a snap in a regular season game, basically, comes stepping into the huddle to replace Aaron Rodgers. What happens there on the field? And, and actually, Job, before I get there, because I don't want to get rid of Aaron yet. Aaron Rodgers took exception right at the time and had some choice words for Anthony Barr, and they, they caught them as he's leaving the field. Were you aware of that at all going on, or you were just focused on the next play already? Uh, yeah, no, I, I said I had some choice words for him, too. Uh, but, um, yeah, I did see that. Um, and, you know, I had some choice words for him also. But, uh, 
you know, it, I didn't know the extent of the injury at the time. Um, I just didn't like seeing my quarterback get hit. Absolutely. And I know whether you – and you said you didn't see the hit, so I know no matter what, you had his back. Um, all right, so so now this young man, Brett Hundley, steps in the huddle. What happens as, they, as you are in the huddle with the Green Bay Packers and Brett Hundley takes the snap? Uh, you know, we're just – we're understanding the sense of urgency and understanding, you know, that, that we need to operate, you know, at an elite level as possible. Um but, you know, one thing I, I say, Brett, is uh, he, he was very calm in the huddle. He he wasn't pressing. Uh, you know, it didn't feel like the whole weight was, was on his shoulders. It didn't look that way to me, you know, looking at him inside the huddle. And, um, and you know, it just got, during the game, you know, a little bit overwhelming with all the injuries that we suffered. We, some, we suffered a lot on offense and we suffered a lot on defense. You know, not only not only that, but going into the game with the injuries that we had, you know, we were very thin already. So it was just a little bit of a, com- you know, compounding of things that were happening. And um, But the whole time, we, we were still in that game. And, uh, you know, we just didn't execute well enough at the end, you know, after half to come out with a W. So as you go through uh, – the following day that the NFL does where um, you've traveled back last night from Minnesota and you go in tonight for today for treatment and review of films. What was yeah. the mood, what was the mood in the building today on a, on a day after such a horrible um, loss? Yeah, you could, I mean, the mood was definitely a mood of concern and, you know, guys, you know, basically just maybe going through the motions. Um, you know, what I did when I got in the building is I just went to go check on the guys and, the guys that uh, didn't finish the game and see where they was all right, the linemen and stuff like that. Um, but uh, yeah, guys are bummed. I mean, you can't you can't replace a player like 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 A Rod. You just can't. I mean, no matter there's no there's nobody out there in free agency to replace him. There's nobody currently playing this game that can replace the things that he can do. So it's just natural for guys to feel a bit of concern. At the same time, you know, we, everybody just has to step up. You know, Ja, we spoke with you in our first ever Colton Court, and at that point you hadn't yet played really um, with Aaron Rodgers. You had gone through some spring workouts and stuff, but you hadn't had the experience of really going through training camp, regular season games, and playing with him. You've spent the first 11 years of your career playing with Hall of Famer to be Drew Brees. Now you're playing with a certain Hall of Famer and Aaron Rodgers. Compare the two and, and tell me what it's like to play for them. Um... You know, I've been kidding this question a lot. I mean, I think they're more similar than, than different. I mean, there are a couple of things that they do differently. Obviously, the ability to Aaron to use his legs, get outside the pocket, and his, you know, his ability to to put the ball on a dime with a fast release, a fast trigger. Um, and I would say that that's, that's the biggest advantage that, you know, that, that the difference of the two. But they're both very smart players. They both can put the ball in tight places. Um, they're both, you know, tops in the league at what, you know, at their position and what they can do. And like you said, they're both future Hall of Famers. Um, you know, Aaron just makes it, he just adds a little more, you know, I guess, pizzazz on it when he does it. Uh, but um, they're both highly, you know, competitive guys. When they like to compete, even in practice, they compete. You know, their generals back there making sure that, you know, the whole ship is sailing correctly. And, uh, you know, both of those guys are, are top-near guys. Jods, Tuck, what's up? Um, 
So obviously you were with the Saints most of your career, and that other Hall of Famer, Drew Brees, is a very familiar guy who you actually get to see this week. Um, is that a game that's been circled since the start of the year, or is it going to be just another game? Uh, yeah, no, you're right. Uh, it was it was uh, definitely a game that that I uh, put eyes on and saw. Um, definitely ha- happy that it's here in Lambeau Field. But, uh, yeah, it's a game that I want to win. Um, it's a game that, that we want to win. Obviously, our goal is to win them all. But, um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be a fun game. Um, they got some new guys over there, young guys over there, you know, that haven't been there the 11 years I've been there. And they got some injuries also on their side. So it's going to be a fun game. I'm just, I'm just happy it's here at Lambeau. Yeah, me too, because otherwise you wouldn't know which locker room to go to probably after 11 years of going <laughs> into the home side. So um, <laughs> tell us what we can expect, because nobody knows from the outside what Brett Hundley can do. What do you think we can expect from him? Yeah. Uh, just the little time that I've been here seeing Brett, He's confident in his ability. I think that's clear. He knows what he's capable of doing. I think that's clear. And he's been in this offense, you know, for three years. I mean, he he's had a great mentor in Aaron. He's been in all those meetings he sat in, to all the coaching points he sat in, through everything. So, you know, obviously the, the smart plan would be to tailor a game for him to be successful. And it starts with a running game. We have to do – we have to do – a better job up front and and getting this run game going. We have to make it, you know, not as stressful for him and get this run game going and make them play the run so that when he's able to go to the air, it's not a difficult read for him or where to go with the ball. So that's something that we have to take on the challenge up front, you know, including, you know, us, the tight ends, the wide receivers blocking downfield and, and you know, fullback also. So we have to take on a challenge to – to make sure that we do everything possible to make this run game go so he can be as successful as he can be. Ja, I know you've had a lot of injuries up front, and as a matter of fact, it seemed to me that probably only two, you being one of them, of your starting five offensive linemen actually finished the game yesterday. Um, what, what does that do to you when you know you're, you're kind of swapping bodies in and out and you're playing with a different guy next to you each week or even, even part of the game? How does that affect the club? Uh, I mean... Um, it definitely does, you know, hinder 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 us a little bit, I guess, in the uh, operation time, the speed of us, you know, operating at an elite level. But the main thing is when you have that is, is communication. You know, when when I have Brian there, he's been in the system for eight years. You know, he's able to help me out. You know, more than me helping him out. And um, you know, and then when I don't have Brian in there, and I have. Uh, you know, Justin or a guy that, you know, we just signed a couple weeks ago, you know, I'm focusing more so that they're knowing that what we're doing, you know, that they have, they have the snap count. They, they have the, they know who they're blocking. They know who we're blocking. They know who we're working to. So, you know, those are some of the communication issues that you, that you face, you know, with the younger guys in there who don't have as many starts or as many reps as the guys uh, who are allotted to start. But, um, you know, the bottom line is what I tell the guys is like, you know, listen, trust your technique. Trust, you know, trust your feet, trust your hands. I've been playing this game for a long time. It hasn't changed. Just trust your instincts, trust your feet, and trust your hands. You just, you don't, you don't want guys out there seeing ghosts, thinking something is happen, happening that is not happening and uh, getting bad body position. So, you know, I like to just tell the guys to just believe in their abilities. They're here for a reason. 
You know, so. Ja, one of the things that I appreciate you being able to explain, and I, I hope the listeners can really take an appreciation for, is how much how cerebral the game is, especially in the offensive line. How much communication comes into play because everyone just sees you out there, you know, thinks you're brutally beating up people, but there's so much more to it than that. And um, it's great, it's great to hear you break that down, Ja. I want to take a little little look, and, and and obviously this has been getting so much play, and I don't want to beat a dead horse, but the NFL owners are meeting, and it's it's a issue that has to be high on their priority this whole what's going on with the national anthem tell me what's going on with the green bay packers with the national anthem and what kind of things you guys talk about if, if you do even at this point um the, the the whole thing and and this is the, and this is maybe an issue that we have put on ourselves is we need to stop addressing this issue as being a national anthem issue it's not a national anthem issue and the, the conversations that have been brought up in the locker room are great conversations and hopefully these conversations continue outside in the world but you know we just want to we just want to show a strong front of unity we, sh- we want to show a strong front that we have each other's back as players no matter who from the outside tries to alter that also we have conversations in our building you know about different experiences that we have been through because when you're in the locker room of, you know, 50, 60, 70 guys, everybody's from all walks of life. Everybody's from all over the world. Everybody has experienced different things. And this issue of police brutality with Kaepernick has started is an experience thing. You know, there are people that experienced it based off of where they grew up. There are people that haven't experienced it based off of where they grew up and don't they have no recall or recollection of some of the things that are going on, but it is an issue in this country. So, you know, what we did is we just wanted to, we just wanted to have each other's back and understand, like, listen, we know what we're born here to do, obviously, to win games. At the same token, we're human, you know, we're men, we're in our communities, and we understand, you know, what's going on in the world today. You know, Ja, that's one of the interesting things is that what this all started with Colin Kaepernick protesting the police brutality and a lot of discrimination issues um, and just silently kind of doing it. And now it's gotten this whole groundswell of momentum. And a year later, it's taken on a whole different thing, especially in light of the comments of Donald Trump. Ultimately, to me, some of the irony is that the purpose probably was also to spur dialogue, and it sure has done that, although it's lost a little focus as to what the right. original dialogue was, because it's almost become almost an anti-Trump protest to some extent. But in the NFL locker room, the stuff you just said, this has actually had the effect, and especially in light of the president fanning the fire with some fuel, it's actually been unifying, hasn't it? Um. It- it, it has. I mean, as players, you know, we, we have each other back regardless. I mean, we have blood, sweat, and tears with guys in training camp and in the heat of the battle and games. So, you know, we have each other's back. But to, but to be able to have these conversations and share experiences, I think, is where you grow internally. And, you know, this, it's, just, it, it's just about, you know, I, I feel like people are neglecting the... the negative history of this country like this country started in a negative light so why are we sitting here ignoring these things that still present themselves hundreds and hundreds of years later like it's we we can't keep turning a blind eye to the same thing like you have to understand like these things are they do exist there are evil people in this world and there will always be evil people in this world but we have to overcome you know hate with love and understanding 
and uh, try to fix some of those things. You know, some of the irony also, Jai, is the fact that there's been talk that maybe NFL ratings are suffering because of it and things like that. And I've actually never really believed that. I, I know that there are people that could be bothered by the protests or offended by it potentially, but I don't know that anybody's really not tuning into the NFL a whole lot because of it. And as a matter of fact, the overnight ratings for yesterday's games were the highest they've been, it's up 7% for the late game on CBS, which was Kansas City-Pittsburgh. And it doesn't seem like the NFL business is really suffering as a, as a result of it. You don't feel there's really any, anything going on there that's that's hurting your brand do you i mean not at all i mean the, the nfl the owners of the nfl are businessmen they know how to conduct business to make this a profitable business they know the proper steps to take in place that's why the tv deal was being paid out regardless if the star players took the field they know not how not to lose money you know what we not what we don't need to fall into is fall into the politics that's going on. It's all about, it's just about politics. The country, you know, it's all about making money. Trust me, they know how to make money and they're making a lot of it. Yep, and it doesn't look like that's going to stop anytime soon. John, listen, it's a day after a game. I know you've had a long day at the facility, you had to travel, and it has been a little bit of an emotional roller coaster over these last couple of, uh, or at least 24 hours since your star quarterback went down. Hopefully, with 10 games to go and the Packers in there, 4 and 2, there's still a lot of good football ahead. Thanks, man. I appreciate that. You know, just got to keep pushing on. Uh, love the show that you guys are doing. Having some interesting guests. I'm keeping up with you guys, and, and good luck in the future. Ja, thanks so much for joining us. We love you, and um, we will be watching the next 10 games, and, and hopefully uh, we watch Brett Hundley become a star player himself. And it's happened in the past where quarterbacks have stepped in when quarterbacks have gone down, and the team has gone on to have great success with that backup quarterback. Yeah, you're right. You know, everybody has to step up and do their part. So anyway, all the best, and thanks again for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, fellas. Take it easy. That's Jari Evans, star guard for the Packers. And, and Tuck, you know, I, I love he, – he's he's a dear friend and client, for full disclosure, but but by the same token, um, he's lasted 12 years in the league, and he came out of a Division two school and didn't really have the pedigree that you would normally associate with somebody becoming an NFL star. But as he breaks everything down, the way he talks about it, the way he looks at it, just the cerebral component that he's always naturally gotten has been one of the best parts about him, along with his physical talents. Yeah, and that's something that most of the guys who last a while have is – Obviously, they're superstar talents, and physically, they're gifted enough where they can compete, but they also have that mental aspect, and he was talking a lot about Aaron Rodgers, how obviously he can make those throws that three people in the entire world can, but at the same time, he can get 11 guys on the offensive side of the ball on the same page with just the use of one word. So stuff like that that goes beyond the talent is just unbelievable, and I'm glad we got to speak with John and hear that right from him. You know, it really is amazing. People really underappreciate how much goes into it from a mental standpoint. Um, we are going to soon be going to our next guest. But before we do, just one quick thing, and that is um, – you know, it's interesting through the, all these protests with the National Anthem that the number three best-selling jersey in all of sports over these last two months, who do you think it's been in all sports? I mean, I know, so you could say. Well, it's, it's Alejandro Villanueva of the Pittsburgh Steelers, an offensive lineman who normally wouldn't necessarily have a high-selling jersey, but he's a former military. He served three tours of duty, and he was the one who stood in front of the Steelers' tunnel when they all stayed in the tunnel, and he was very embarrassed about it, actually. He, he felt that afterwards when he saw the pictures of himself staying alone he was embarrassed but obviously to him the national anthem has a certain meaning that might be different than the normal citizen and i think that sort of poster child for that has bolstered his popularity it's really interesting how those things happen 
Yeah, and it's, I mean, Jari said himself, he was. He said people, he wants them to rally around that it's not a national anthem thing, it's a bigger thing, it's a culture thing, and for people to be able to rally around that and support him for going about it the way he did, and hopefully everyone else can get on board with whoever wants to support it in whichever manner they choose to. So anyway, we're going to take a slight change of direction. We're staying in the same division, and we're going to go to the opposite side of the ball. And a former client of mine, well, he'll always be a client, but he, he's only recently retired, Andre Fluellen out of Florida State, who spent most of his career with the Detroit Lions. Welcome to Colton Court, Andre. Thanks for joining us. Hey, thank you all for having me. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I think you're back in Georgia, right? Yeah, I'm in Atlanta. Uh, Andre, uh, I'm here also with Tucker Colton. Say hello, Tuck. How you doing, Andre? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Good. So, Andre, we, we have a lot of things to talk about with you, but um, as you spent so much of your life, every fall, after, every weekend first, your, your high school years, then your college years, and your pro years are devoted to football, how do you spend the fall, after, the fall weekends now? Uh, let's see. This weekend, I went to see My Little Ponies with uh, both my little girls, <laughs> and uh, and I went to a birthday party with a bunch of two year old girls. So that's pretty much my weekends in a nutshell right now. Wow, that's a little different than the violent way uh, you spent it for many years. Yeah, and I'm I'm embarrassed to say, but My Little Ponies was actually a really good movie. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I used to love that. There was nothing better than taking my kids to see those movies, and and they they're actually were very good for adults. All that love the Toy Stories uh-huh. and things like that through the years. Well, anyhow, Andre, so just for, for our listeners here on Colton Court that aren't familiar with you, I, I want to give a little background, and that is um, that you came out of Florida State and you were drafted in the third round in 2008 by the Detroit Lions, and you wound up playing from 2008 to 2015 for the Lions. So it's a real long eight-year run. But there were a lot of little stops and breaks in between. And I represented you for most of your career. And I did more contracts for you, Andre, than any player I ever did. Because you were you were often on that shuttle. Talk about talk about what it was like when you went there as a third as a third round pick and then how your career sort of progressed through the years. Well, of course, you know, when you first get drafted, uh, you think that everything is going to work out perfectly, right? You think you want to uh, come in, you know, maybe sit around for a while or maybe be the starter coming in. And then uh, your career will take off. You get this mega second second contract and you play with the same year, same team for 10 years and then you retire and just ride off into the sunset. Well, it really don't work like that for most <laughs> uh, So, But, you know, looking back at it, uh, I wouldn't trade my career for anything in, in the world uh, just because I got to see both sides of it. Uh, I got to see the glory of the NFL, uh, you know, as a starter, starting some games and all that, and then the other side of it, waiting for a call. So I understand uh, just how frustrating it can be, but at the same time how just wonderful it can be doing the thing that you love to do. So, uh, you know, I, I, I'm really grateful for my career. Uh, it, wa- it was a, a struggle sometimes, but at, at, the, you know, at other times it was just an absolute blessing. I had so much fun. So uh, it, was, it was a good career. I mean, I really enjoyed everything about it. You know, I had a, a, a pretty good agent for the most part. Uh, <laughs> well, truly, truly, Andre, you, you were an honor to represent in every way as a, as a person, as a player, and, and truly as a friend and a client. But, Andre, I, w- I want to take our listeners, because I like to take them to, to other aspects of the game than just what happens on the field, and talk about getting recruited and the process of, of choosing a Florida State and what, what those kind of choices came down to. Hmm, okay, well, that was... Uh... That was a really tough decision. Uh, one thing I encourage anybody who's getting recruited, if you can, take all five of your visits. 
because that's the only time in your life that people will be at your feet, you know, giving you whatever you want to give. Uh, <laughs> get. So, uh, you know, I would say enjoy that process, but at the same time, uh, I mean, it's a it's a very grown process to think of the rest of your life as a you know seventeen eight year old eighteen year old dude. Like you have a, a lot of that's a heavy decision. So uh, it's hard. Um, you know, thank goodness I had some great parents that kind of helped push me in in the right direction, but at the same time, let me make my own decision. Um, and talk but, about your other choices. Like, talk about your other choices that you had. Yeah, so it was uh, really it was between it was Florida State, Florida, uh, and Van, Vanderbilt. Those are my three schools. Out. Sorry, that's my little ah, that's, that's that, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> the music three to my ears in the background. Really, oh yeah, 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 no doubt. But three schools I really wanted to go to: Florida State, Florida, and uh, and Vanderbilt. Uh, Vanderbilt, just because of educational factor, uh, even though they were awful when I when I was you know <laughs> getting recruited, but they're not real good Florida, now. Fl- no, right, <laughs> Florida. When uh, you know, they were kind of at the top then. Um, right. But Florida State. It was Bobby Bowden. I always wanted to go to Florida State. Uh, I remember a guy who I was, you know, played with. I was like, man, I really want to go to Florida State. And he laughed in my face. I was like, man, nobody from Carter's will ever go to Florida State. So, of course, at that point in time, I really wanted to go to Florida State just to show him up. Uh, and, and so, you know, just looking back at it, I'm glad I made the decision I made, but it was a tough decision. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Well, I'm sure, you know, at that age, at that age it really is. It would be a hard decision at any age, but that probably was the most – critical decision you make and you do it at such a young age without really knowing all the variables so so tell us how did it work out what was it like going to school at such a place and playing for such a prestigious football team you know first uh you know i'm from a little small town for cartersville georgia so that's kind of in the middle of nowhere outside of atlanta um and then so going from a small town small school to one of the most historical football colleges you know ever it was a big, big transition, uh, and and at first I thought I was in over my head because uh, I never, you know, saw the uh, incredible amount of talent that I saw there. I mean, it was just uh, it was mind blowing. But after a while, after you know, just like on anything, any football player will tell you, after you get that first hit, you realize everything is good, and uh, that's kind of how it happened. You know, on on the field, after I got the first hit, I was like, oh, I'm just good as everybody else, no big deal. And then, uh, but off the field, just being at school, being at a, you know, at a college like that, it was you know. Hard to stay focused, but uh, that was one thing. Obviously, I had to do in order to make it to you know where I where I made it to was to be able to stay focused with you know all the distraction that's going. Thank goodness I didn't really have social media back then. <laughs> and how far was Cartersville from Tallahassee so that your parents could make it to every game? Uh, it was about it was about five five hours. Mm-hmm. Okay, and um, so so you have the great experience of playing for such a, a prestigious school and. You know, it's, it's as big time as it gets in the college world. What is your feeling about the fact that players don't get paid? Do you think the system needs adjustment? Ah, oh, man, it, it, it's so hard for me to say because, you know, I came from a different perspective. You know, my family, I had a good family, you know, upper middle class family, didn't really hurt for anything. So I, I always knew that. If it really came down to it, I could ask my parents, and they would do whatever they could to, to help me out. So my perspective is a little different because I look at it like, well, I did get a free education. Uh, did people make a lot of money off my jersey? Yeah, but did, did I make you know get a, a hundred something thousand dollar education? Yeah, and was I able to use it for my career going forward? Yeah. So in my situation, I don't really 
think that, you know, an excessive payment, you know, no kid or, you know, anybody or a player should be wanting or hurting for food or, you know, anything like that or, you know, basic necessities. Or, But at the same time, for me, I think that I got exactly what I needed in college. Because if I had too much and I wouldn't have, you know, I wouldn't have respected the process. Um, so some people should. Uh, and, you know, there were Pell Grants and things like that for some people. But the, for the most part, I think when I was playing, I did it the right way. Andre, you played with some great players in college. Talk, talk just, just tick through some of the guys that went on to the NFL and went on to some stardom there as well. Oh, man. I would say, uh, you know, the ones I can remember, Ernie Sims, Roger Bunkley, uh, Tony Cromartie. You know, my, the most impressive player I ever saw, though, was, was, was Greg Jones, uh, running back, fullback for the Jaguars. I mean, he was just somebody that just woke up to me. He, when he came out the womb, he was 250 pounds with a six-pack. I don't know how he does it. didn't matter what he ate. Uh, but he, he worked really hard, too. But at the same time, he was probably the most impressive out of, out of all the guys that you know, I played with. So, Dre, you play with those great players. So, adjusting to the NFL from a talent level probably wasn't huge for you because you're already in practice and every day going up against guys who wound up being in the NFL. But talk about what it's like when you arrive in Detroit. It, weren't the, it wasn't the best of times for the Lions back then, was it? No, nah, you know, my first year, we happened to have a, a great season of not winning a game. So, <laughs> that was uh, how I got introduced into the NFL. But, uh you know, I actually had a respect for it because I realized, because we had some really good players on that team as well, uh, I realized how hard it is to win a game and but how that easy the, it is to lose a game. I mean, you, you would won, obviously, all the way through college, and you literally went 0-16 that first year, didn't you? Yeah. So, I, you know, as soon as uh, that was my first experience with not winning a game, that was, uh, that, was, that, was, that was some stuff to say at least. So what was the building like as the year went on and everybody knows they're going to get fired and things like that that are happening there? You know, surprisingly, Coach Rob Marinelli made the best of a really bad situation. Uh, He did his best to keep everybody upbeat, uh, but at the same time, just the morale was low. Uh, Everybody, anybody who came from a winning program or anybody who just wanted to win, period, just you can't take that many losses uh, and and still, you know, enjoy coming in every day. Uh, So it was... uh, it was definitely a, a negative mindset, a negative vibe, but, you know, we tried to make the best of it. So they make the coaching change. Who comes in? Jim Schwartz. Exactly. Jim Schwartz, who is now the Eagles defense coordinator, comes in and um, takes over Detroit. And I had the pleasure of speaking to him recently, by the way. I didn't, I didn't let you know this, but um, I, I asked him about you, and he said, Andre Fluon is one of my favorite guys. He was somebody I could always sure. count on, had a great attitude, and just a really smart, team-oriented, great player. And, and I'd take a guy like Andre Fluon anytime. So it was a nice. Oh, wow. okay. It was it was really nice. And I, I, I saw I saw him recently at, a, at an Eagles charity event. Um, so I wanted to pass that on to you. But so so things started to turn around a little bit under Jim Schwartz, right? Yeah, I would say Coach uh, Schwartz was the catalyst for the turnaround. Obviously, in, in Detroit, to being a not competitive team at all, to being a super competitive like you know in, any game that we could possibly win at any time. Uh, and I, I really credit Coach Schwartz for that. Just changing the attitude of the team more than anything. And Andre, when you talk about the talent level, you played with some great players in Detroit, didn't you? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, we had some talent. Uh, we had plenty of talent, just as much talent as as most or any team. It's just uh, you know it's so it's so hard. The, the margin of victory and defeat is so slim in the NFL. Uh, 
Well, give us some of the names of the, of the guys that you, you were on the defensive line with. Uh, let's see. We had uh, my my first year, Core Redding, who I thought was, was really good. A uh, guy you never would hear about, but Super Bowl winner, Chuck Darby. He was my, my rookie year. Then we had Indomitian Sue, obviously, who we, you know, he is who he is. Indomitian uh, Sue, Cliff Averill. Corey Williams. Corey Williams was a monster when he was, you know, at his best. I mean, we had some some Pro Bowl caliber guys, obviously. And then uh, Nick, Nick Farley as well. And, Nick uh, Farley, yeah. I mean, it was it really was an impressive defense in a lot of ways. But um, talk about Indomitian Sue because he's really one of the dominant players, and I, I'm sure he'll be in Canton someday. Oh yeah, no, no doubt about it. You know, Indomitian gets a he gets a bad rap. You know, I, I, I equate him to. Like the old Mike Tyson, right? Mike Tyson would knock somebody stupid, and as they were falling, he would still try to hit them, and the ref had to come in and kind of stop him. And you could see like the switch turned off uh, when he realized that the guy was down. Kind of think Sue is kind of that same way. Uh, he goes to the echo of the whistle. That's how you call it. Which is that's what you want out of defensive lineman for the most part. So Andre, are you watching a lot of football these days? You know, I watch as much as I can, but not really. Uh, I watch a lot of college. I watch, I watch Detroit when you know when they come on, but for the most part, I'm with the kids. They're not watching football. I'm not watching it. <laughs> if you were in the NFL right now, what would your feelings be about what you would do during a national anthem? Oh man, that's a that's a good question. Yeah, and I have and I have nothing against anybody who does anything, whatever they do, uh, as long as it's respectful, obviously. Uh, but I would more than likely. Uh, I would probably think about what I would be standing or kneeling for if I did. But more than likely, I would stand just because I do you know, respect this country. And uh, I've always stood. I mean, when I was growing up, we had the national anthem. We stood and uh, you know, put my hand over my chest. And that's just, that's just what we did uh, growing up. So I would just continue to do that. Uh, I think I, I praise the guys who who were taking me out of you know what they believe in their rights. And that's, you know, that's their right. I respect the guys who stand. Um, I would be probably a guy that stands just, just because I've all, that's just what I've always done. Absolutely, and I understand. And, and, and you know, obviously it has spurred a lot of dialogue, and, and this protest has taken a lot of different dimensions, um, in particular after the president's comments. So uh, it's just it's an interesting time. I know the league is concerned about it and probably addressing it at the owners' meetings. We'll see if anything comes out of it. But um, it has certainly, for the most part, been done very, very respectfully. And um, if, if nothing else, it's gotten dialogue going, and, and I appreciate exactly. seeing it. Exactly. Um, so, Andre, you, you bounced around just a drop. And, and one of the things that I was always so proud of you about is, look, it's easy when you're under contract and you're playing and you go to work every day and you know what your role is. You had times where you were released and on the street and had to stay ready for those calls, and, and we would get those calls. I'd be, it was really always unfortunate, um, and, and I, I felt it took away something from me as a human being. But I'd almost watch a game and, and, and feel a sense of happiness when someone got hurt, which was an absolutely terrible thing. But so many times that meant a job for you. What, what was that feeling like? And how did you stay ready for those calls that would come? And, and they came rather frequently. If, if you got released, you were never on the street very long. Right. I just knew that, uh, you know, I've been playing defense a lot my whole life, right? And so I've always known what to do to stay ready. Uh, I don't have to do exactly what everybody else does. But I, I had my own regimen. And I knew I had to keep that up. Uh, because if I play, it's different than, you know, if you're on a team. But if you, you know, get released and then get signed, like you have to go over and above just to stay 
with a job. Uh, so I made that my priority to when I was back, I would be better than the other people that are there. That was just my goal. Um, so that's how I stayed ready. Just my mindset was different. And I, you know, I did things that I like doing. Like I did a lot of boxing. I did a lot of martial arts. You know, I like to lift. So I did that. So I did things that I enjoyed doing other than just going out there and just running some gasters or whatever. I uh, so- to keep myself ready. We took a couple detours. We went to Miami. Um, you went to Chicago. You went to Buffalo. But you always found your way back to Detroit, didn't you? Yeah, I sure enough did. I don't know how either. <laughs> well, it was, it was always they didn't want to pay you quite as much as somebody else would. And, but we always found our way back there. Um, so, so, Andre, one of the things that always was really enjoyable for me in representing you was that you had many interests outside of football. So talk about what you have done um, since football, but, but also how the NFL and the NFLPA, through their educational programs, also helped guys in the transition. Yeah, it's uh, you know, the NFLPA does a really good job of uh, of, of helping guys who want to be helped. And there's a lot of programs out there. You know, there's a uh, transit British Success Transition Program, which is really awesome. Me and my wife went to, and they pay for a lot of things too. So it's uh, it's really helpful. Um, but outside of football, right now I'm studying to be a financial planner. So I take my Series Seven examination next week, which is a beast of a test. But uh, you know, I'll be passing that next week. I'll be working uh, as a registered investment advisor, uh, and I'm really excited about that uh, just because I understand that a lot of guys in the NFL, they don't really do so well financially after they're done playing, and I've seen I've seen how easy it is for that to happen. So uh, I just want to go back and be able to help some guys and make, make better decisions, especially while they're playing. Well, I know you have some bloodlines on that, right? We got your mother. <laughs> your mother has been a financial planner and a brilliant woman herself. Um, so as we go forward in this season and um, and you now on the sidelines sort of watching it. What is your take on football? For example, um, you know that Aaron Rodgers got hurt yesterday. You as a defensive lineman, right. nothing wrong with that hit, right? Right. Okay, it's I mean, and, yeah. and, and most people would feel that way. We had Jari Evans, who's now protecting Aaron Rodgers on earlier and, you know, kind of looked at it from a little bit different point of view. But as a defensive player, um, obviously that's a legitimate hit. There wasn't a flag on it, nor should there have been under the rules. Um, do you, with the change over the years that you had to, and, and the protection of quarterbacks, did it ever put anything in your head that kind of took away aggressiveness a little bit? Yes, but in a in a, in a good way, uh, because it, it used to be you go out there and you just try to kill a quarterback. You know what I mean? And that's just kind of the mindset uh, it was, just go out there and you got to hit the quarterback, and that's just that's your job. Now is okay, we do have to hit the quarterback, but at the same time, he is, I mean, I'm, for lack of a better term, he's a superstar of the league now. So you got to keep him healthy. So it, it does change your mindset. Uh it doesn't change how you play. It does change how you live. You have to be more conscious of things. Uh, and I think that's that's the biggest difference. You just have to be more conscious of what you're doing out there. And as a defensive lineman, you're used to just going and just going and just going. Uh, but at that point of contact, it's really hard to be conscious of it, but that's just what we have to do now. Gotcha. And um, there always is a feeling amongst coaches and personnel guys that they really want their defensive linemen to be nasty. And um, mm-hmm. you didn't really fit that off the field, but you know how to do it on the field. 
Mm-hmm. No, no doubt about it. Yeah, you have to have the turn on and off switch. You don't, you know, you'll be crazy off the field. You don't want to do that. So listen, your daughter has been as patient as she can be, and I appreciate <laughs> it. <laughs> um, Andre Fluel, now family man and former NFL player, and uh, you really had a terrific career and a terrific life in football. And I know it's really spurring you on to some great things now. No doubt about it, man. I really appreciate y'all having me on here as well. This has been awesome. Dre, it's been great talking to you. And um, if, if you don't mind, I might I might call you again in the future for your insights and for your wisdom and experience. Sure, I'm always available. Thank you. This is Andre Flewellen, former Florida State Seminole, mostly Detroit Lion during his eight-year NFL career and just, just a fabulous guy. Thanks for joining us, Andre. Appreciate it. See ya. Take care. Um, Tuck, you know, again, we you, you hear a guy like Andre speak, and um, people have such images of NFL players, and you, you listen to Jari Evans and Andre Flew on. I mean, truly, they're as fine of people as I know and as intelligent of people as I know. Yeah, and a funny thing, I mean, even in ju- just that interview is the off-the-field life that so many people don't care about because they just go to the games, want their team to win, care about their fantasy players. And then here's a guy who's a defensive lineman who the average NFL fan might or might not know. and. Now here is a year, a few years removed from the league, playing with his kids, going to see movies on Sundays instead of the field, and just that whole aspect of life. Andre always got the big picture. His father was a preacher who tragically died during a charity basketball game during Andre's career, which was a heartbreaking thing. But his mother was also a financial planner, an extremely intelligent woman. Um, and so he always had, as he spoke about, you know, he didn't necessarily care about getting paid as a college player because he was coming from an upper middle class home and two very successful parents and they kind of always had instilled that kind of stuff in him but it's an interesting thing the dichotomy that goes on in these colleges and how some people are in need and we'll continue to look at those types of things and explore them um before we go we've got a few minutes left here and um we wanted to take a little quick trip around the world of sports and let's talk about college athletics and some of the horrible things that are going on there and that is what's happening in that basketball scandal in the in that we're still, I believe, at the tip of the iceberg with the indictments of corruption um, and, and things like that that came from Adidas payments and has now, as of today, resulted in the firing of Rick Pitino. You know, Tuck, we're still at the, the tip of this iceberg, but Pitino claimed to have no knowledge of it, yet his own lawyers produced some evidence of emails and texts and things that seemed to indicate that he was right in the middle of helping to get $100,000 funnel to recruit. I just feel like, personally, knowing the background of a guy like Rick Pitino that if you're running a program as large as that and as powerful as that you have to have some idea of everything that's going on whether it's on the court whether it's academics whether it's kids going out at night every every part of your program being the head coach or the head guy you have to have some control or some knowledge of everything so it just is baffling to me to even think that he wouldn't have any idea of this going on. It's hard for me to believe it as well. There's an interesting thing, and these are still not admissible in court for a variety of reasons, but he actually passed an FBI polygraph on this thing. Um, so either Patino's a really, really good liar, which he could be, or maybe he didn't know, but by the same token, there has been enough smoke and really probably even fire in that program under Rick Pitino over these last few years. It has brought a little bit of disrespect onto the prestigious University of Louisville, and I think they just had enough. I mean, he had the whole scandal um, with regard to being extorted by a secretary, which he kind of turned around. He had prostitution to his recruits, and I think he was kind of on the last thread of his leash anyhow prior to this thing breaking, and I just think University of Louisville's had enough. Now, what's going to happen, of course, is there's going to be major 
quarreling about what his severance package is because it was supposedly quite large. Louisville's probably going to try to avoid paying that because they fired him for cause, and that'll be more legal wrangling that'll go on. Yeah, and he obviously has a strong team of lawyers, and we'll see what comes forward, but hopefully they don't keep putting out self-incriminating evidence. But basketball is king in Louisville, and here we are in mid-October, and their long-standing, probably even Hall of Fame-credentialed head coach just got fired. Interesting to throw them sort of into that heading into the basketball season. Yeah, and I know some schools are already doing their midnight madness to kick off the training camp, and games start, I think, first week of November, two weeks away, so should be interesting, and Louisville's obviously a top 25 team usually every year. Tuck, we talked in the past about um, I had a couple hearings coming up for William Gay, one for an unsportsmanlike conduct hit that occurred against Cleveland Browns. It was about week two of the season, and then also one for where he was fined, and he got a $24,000 fine for that, and one for a uniform violation where he had an unshirt, untucked undershirt, which resulted in a $6,000 fine. I always appeal these things for my clients. Um, you get a hearing officer that uh, is assigned to the case, and they're normally an ex-player, and you get a chance to present your point of view as to why the fine should not have been levied in the first place or should be mitigated or re- reduced. And you got to understand that here's William Gay, and he makes a decent buck, but $24,000 fine is a substantial part of his payday for that week. And for one hit that I thought was borderline, you know, 24000 was a pretty big thing. So we had that hearing several weeks ago, and Dirk Brooks, who is a Hall of Fame linebacker for Tampa retired linebacker and a great, great player, but a pretty hard hitter himself was my hearing officer, which I like because he was a defensive player because as I go over it in the hearing with him, and we take a look at the play from all different angles, and he also has William testify as to what was in his head as he approached the player. Fortunately, Dirk Brooks listened to our arguments, and surprisingly, I just got the ruling today that he rescinded the fine in, in its entirety. I thought he might lessen it, but he actually took away the whole $24,000 fine. Yeah, I mean, it just shows that he could put himself in Will's shoes and understand that rather than going for the guy, he was trying to make a play on the ball. I obviously saw the play, and he understood and thought it was an unnecessary fine. So victory for his agent, who could justify his fee a little more this year, as well as we also had the $6,000 uniform violation, and that was also a technical violation. And interestingly enough, my hearing officer for that was former Eagle tackle John Runyon. And John listened to what we had to argue in that case and also rescinded the fine under a very reasonable standard that Wills played 11 years in the league, and this was an inadvertent thing that as soon as it became apparent to him, he corrected yeah, I th- I, it was a uniform police violation where w- those guys walk around pregame and say, oh, his sock's a little too low or his shirt's out a little too much, and I think that's almost an abuse of power by the NFL. Ob- obviously, they want to present their product in a certain manner, but for a little violation like that, I mean, a guy who's been in the league as long as him and speaks on behalf of the league in certain matters should be able to get away with a little bit of his undershirt showing. So, Tuck, we're also um, in this time of year where everything converges in the world, and we've got football now heading into the midseason. We've got baseball in its playoffs, and we've got basketball and hockey starting. So all four things get going, and after the doldrums that go on through the summer of where we're stuck with really just baseball going on after, after basketball ends, we got everything you know, in full cylinders here. So one of the things that is going on in baseball playoffs, and as you pop around the the television channels and you've got football on one end and baseball and hockey and basketball those baseball games even in the excitement that has been a great playoff so far are awfully slow in comparison aren't they yeah i saw a sequence last night it was 
The second last batter in the Dodgers Cubs game, John Lackey, was pitching. He threw six pitches in the at bat, and the at bat took five and a half minutes. You know, look, every one of these games to me has taken almost four hours. And that's an awfully long time to watch a baseball game, isn't it? Especially when they're finishing two to one and three to two. And, and, and so, but you start at eight o'clock, and this is one thing that, that has made me scratch my head about baseball for years is that they just lose a younger generation because there's no way that young kids can see the end of these games. When, when I was a kid, you know, these games were two, two-ish hours and you really got to see everything. And actually, um, I, I'm old enough to remember when they actually had their first ever night World Series game. Do you have any idea when that was? No. It's actually incredible that their first ever night World Series game was in 1971. Up till then, all the games were played during the day, even during the week. Um, and so it was, they weren't, television wasn't the big deal it was back then. It wasn't all about the ratings, so they weren't pandering to that. Obviously, now that's what matters. And uh, we, for baseball, for their benefit at least, they do have the Los Angeles market, the New York market, the Chicago market, and the Houston market, the four largest markets in America in the playoffs Final Four. All right, and all very good teams and with exciting storylines behind each. And it's definitely made for a great playoff so far and hopefully it continues through the end of the World Series. Now, Tucker, you spent four years in a major league dugout in uniform. Um, not to brag about your baseball credentials because it was because you were the bat boy, but by the same token, you had a real indoctrination into what it's like to be in a big league dugout. What do you think about the pace of play? Is it something that matters? You, you were there while they put in rules about time between innings, time between pitches, time between visits and things, or time during visits and things like that. Um, did you feel the game could still be sped up more? What did you feel as you were there right in the throes of it? Yeah, no doubt the game could be sped up more, but it's also funny because you'll stand with a coach and he'll be like, oh, this guy takes forever. And then a guy will come back and he'll be like, oh, I felt so rushed out there. So it's all about perspective and everyone obviously has their own rituals, whether it's a Nomar Garcia Parra's with the whole ritual before each pitch or a pitcher who steps off the back of the mound before each new batter. Um, and there's, every guy does their own thing and every guy really operates on their own time and that's what the players see as a beauty of baseball versus another sport is that there's no clock and now they have these pitch clocks and the inning clocks but the players don't really matter they get warnings and slaps on the wrist but they want to do whatever makes them most comfortable and prepared for the next pitch and the next at bat so in our guilty not guilty that we do every week in Colton Court I still want to pull up Major League Baseball and put them on trial here because this is their time to sell their product and their product couldn't be better I mean we're on the heels of a game-winning walk-off home run for Turner of the Dodgers and in, in just a great moment last night. And I don't know still how many people saw it because it's so late. Do you find them guilty or not guilty for needing to do something about the game to make it more relevant to today's audience and to get it quicker? I'll find them totally guilty. It was an NFL Sunday where you have one baseball game and you have an opportunity to battle with the NFL and obviously you don't want to go head-to-head, but you could put it at a 3 o'clock or so time slot so when those early games end and the late games start and there's a little lull in the action, got people can tune in for the heart of the action of the baseball game and maybe many more viewers could have seen that walk-off home run than they did. 
Well, absolutely, and I would agree. So MLB Guilty, we, they have a great product out there right now. I just hope enough people see it because you and I both love baseball. Anyway, we've got to sort of dance around the sports world as usual today. We spent some time with Jari Evans earlier talking about the Green Bay Packers and the Aaron Rodgers injury yesterday and where they go from here. We also had Andre Fluellen, former Florida State Seminole and Detroit Lion, talking to us about his experience and his career. And we touched on a number of other topics, as we always do on Colton Court. And we'll be here this Monday and next Monday and every Monday, unless we got a new, another date. But other than that, you will hear us every week here on Wildfire Radio. So for Tucker Colton, I'm Gerald Colton. Thanks for joining us. Court is adjourned.